Good morning. How's everybody? Mm. <sighs> I had a long day yesterday. Um, <clears throat> me and some of the pastors, we just came back from uh, Orange Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it was really good. Uh, but uh, someone hit uh, our rental car in the parking lot of the conference, and they didn't leave a note. They're Christian Conference, right, and they hit our car. Uh, so, the pre- but then, uh, oh, so uh, late at night, um, it was like a it was like a little dent on the side of this Jeep uh, Patriot. So Jungwoo and I went to Walmart at like one in the morning, and we were trying to buy like toilet plungers and stuff, or like dent removers to try to like pull it out. And like so, we were trying that, and then like the, you know some some places say you can like heat up the spot and then spray it with, like, compressed air upside down and, like, the, the heat to cool action will, like, pop the dent out. So we're trying all this stuff and it doesn't work. And so we were up really late and then, like, our flight was, like, at 6 or 8 in the morning. So we had to, like, wake up at, like, 5 or, f- like, 4 or 5 in the morning East Coast time, which is, like, you know, way earlier over here. And we fly all the way back here. And oh, so I was up from, like, basically, like, 2 or 3 in the morning till like, way late at night last night. And I wake up this morning and uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but just turn to Luke chapter 15 while I'm saying all this. The, the, the Ephesians thing in, in the thing is wrong. I woke up this morning and my wife was like, you like hit me twice last night while you were sleeping. I was like, I was like so? It's like, dang, woman. If you didn't like yell so much at night, I could sleep better. No, but, but I'm just kidding. But it's probably because I was sharing a bed with Frank, who's our youth pastor. And it was, I'm just like used to like if somebody touches me and I'm just like, Whoa. So, uh, Tonight should be better. But, uh, yeah, so it's been a long day and a long night, and, and I'm pretty tired, but uh, but this is good. This is good. Luke chapter 15, um, and we're going to read verses 11 to 24. 11 to 24 from Luke chapter 15. And um, I want to throw a little twist in here. Um, we're going to read this, and um, I'm going to be the narrator. Okay, so I'm going to read all the narration portions, and I want you guys to be... Uh, play the role of the younger son. Okay, so all the little quotes in here, um, for example, in verse uh, 12, it says, Father, give me the share of his property. And in verse uh, 17, how many of my father? Okay, those are things you're going to read. Okay, I'm going to narrate the rest. Okay, so just look for the little quotation marks. And I'm reading from the ESV version. Okay, so if you have a different version, just start like talking when everyone else starts talking. Okay, but um, so, so let me just start this. Right, verse 11 from Luke chapter 15. And he said, Uh, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, and he divided his property between them. Uh, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. 
his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and a shoe on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Okay, why don't we pray one more time? We'll get into our message. Uh, God, we thank you that uh, you are like, or you are uh, this father that loves his children so much um, that though uh, we sin against you, that we turn from you, that we betray you, uh, yet you are waiting and longing for our return. Uh, God, please teach us uh, to come to you and uh, run, after, run to you uh, and know uh, that your grace is sufficient for all of us. Uh, please teach us through this time um, uh, just how to be uh, comforted when we're stuck, when things seem impossible. Uh, God, and just let us look to you uh, to be the answer to all these problems and questions. Uh, so, God, we pray. Uh, be with us in this time, and uh, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, as Pastor Susong was saying, uh, we've been going through a sermon series uh, called The Parade of Fools. And again, this all-church series, so you just talk to anyone in the church from little kids to the oldest adults or the little kids to oldest adult. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can ask them questions about it because we're all talking about the same thing, which is an amazing thing. I've grown up in church all my life, and I've never seen anything like this in any other church. So take advantage. Uh, ask someone a question and see what's going on uh, in, on the other sides of the church. Okay, so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how we use God from this story. Okay, and last week, we talked about uh, how we treat God as a principle. You know, we, we look at him like this kind of, you know, we got we to, gotta, like, do all the right things to make sure, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're honoring the principle or not breaking the rules. Okay, uh, but today, uh, we're, we're, we're going to talk about a young man, or we're going to look at the aspect of how the young man uh, wrecked his life, okay, and, uh, and he messed up his life, and he got himself stuck. He got himself stuck. Uh, he was probably depressed. He was probably uh, pretty unsure what to do with his life okay, for, for a moment in his life. Okay? And um, um, as I tell you that, um, as I was preparing this message uh, this last week or two, um, it was, um, you know, I, I, was, I kept thinking about uh, this, pa- uh, not pastor, this teacher at seminary who was also a pastor. He always says to us class, uh, to us students, um, you got to, Get the word of God and bring it to your congregation. Right, you got to bring a message to your congregation. Okay, so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I got to bring a message to my congregation. Okay, which is interesting because on your side, okay, if I was sitting in your seat, you guys got to think like every week as uh, Pastor Susan gives messages or whoever's speaking, like that you got to think, well, God is trying to give a message to me through that person, right? And so, so I'm like sitting here, I was like, okay, so I got to give a message to people about being stuck or being depressed or being in a hard place, I'm like, that's hard, right? Like, what would you say to someone that's, like, depressed or stuck or, you know, in, in a tough place? Okay, so, um, so I, was, I was thinking about that and I was praying on it, and uh, really I had, like, a very um, heavy heart, 
because it's, in a lot of ways, it's such an important message to bring to people that are in difficult places or tough times in their lives. If, if there's, I mean, I've been in tough places in my life, and, and you know, I'm just, I'm just longing for something to happen. You know, and you might know someone just longing for something to happen, and there are probably people, I know there are people in this, you know, right, right among us, and, and you probably know people in among us that need something to happen. Okay, so as I was preparing for this, you know, it's just, I felt this weight, and a lot of times I would just think about this and us, and I just, I'd almost start to cry. Like I, I wouldn't cry because I'm a man, right? No tears for me, but I would feel like crying. Okay, let's get that distinction very clear. <laughs> so I'd be like, you know, okay, so, but, but it was heavy, okay? Honestly, it was just very heavy, uh, this message. So, uh, but, um, so, you know, you know, praying, studying the passage, and, and thinking about it, it's like, uh, and, and, I, and I felt like, you know, God really had something for me to tell you guys today, okay? So um, uh, with that said, today's sermon is not designed to be a magic bullet, okay? What I mean by that is, you know, if you are depressed or if you feel like you're stuck in your life, it's not meant to be like, bam, you know? It's like, okay, now you're fixed. If you don't walk out of these doors feeling completely 100% relieved of your problems, then I don't know. It's, you didn't give enough offering. No, no, I don't know. Okay? It's not meant to be like that. Okay? It's not meant to be some magic bullets that's going to solve all your problems. Okay? Um, I, had a, 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 I knew a pastor. He used to always uh, tell his congregation, uh, you know, in a very normative sense, a lot of Christianity, it's, it's, never, it's not meant to be uh, like, a, like growing in your Christian faith is never easy or instantaneous. Right? It rarely is. Okay? You know, okay. Like, you know, occasionally you'll hear stories. Like, I had a, a friend of mine that I worked with, and he's like, he, he was like uh, this big white guy, and he told me, Joe, one day I wanted to quit smoking, and I gave it to the Lord, and it was done. I was like, you know, that, that's not the normative experience of most people, right? Most people don't, like, you know, like win the lottery like that. You know, like you, you probably all know stories where someone sort of wins the lottery and they get healed or, or some major problem gets solved by God. But in a, in, a, in a very normative sense, that's not how, you know, we generally live our lives. I don't normally live my life uh, with my wife and like, you know, how are we going to put table on, how are we going to put food on the table the next day? Like, oh, let's go play the lottery because I heard this guy won like $200 million. So every day I'm going to play the lottery and try to win the lottery. Okay, if we live our Christian, a lot of times we try to live our Christian lives like that. We're like, God, I need a miracle, I need a miracle, I need a miracle. You know, win the lottery, win the lottery, right? If, if we try to live our Christian lives like that, it's going to be a mess, okay? There's a very normative sense where, you know, there is work involved and there is, you know, hardship involved and there is learning involved and there is, you know, like Christian homework involved, you know, and there's stuff that we need to do, which is kind of like what that sheet is, you know. It's kind of like stuff that we do to grow, right? and it's not always easy. Okay, so um, with that, I, w- I want to kind of frame this. Like when, when, you're, when we're stuck or when we're in a tough place, I kind of picture it like uh, we're in a desert. Okay, and as far as you can see to the left, right, back, or forth, you just see nothing. You're just stranded in the middle of the desert. If I were to ask you the question, how do you get out of a desert? You know, what do you say? Right? It's not a riddle, but the answer is, you know, one step at a time. When you're trying to get out of a desert and you just feel like you're nowhere, you get out one step at a time, okay, and it's hard. Okay, you, the answer, like, the, the answer isn't, well, you teleport, of course, right? That's the miracle answer. You teleport. It doesn't happen. Norm- <laughs> like, it doesn't happen, right? So when we're talking about Christianity and our lives and our relationship with God, you know, or, you know, just our life in general, it's like when we're trying to get out of a desert, 
most, you know, normative is one step at a time. Okay, one step at a time. Um, and uh, many times the hardest step, right, is finding the hope to get started. Okay, a lot of times when you're looking around, it just feels like there's no hope. You don't even want to start. Okay, so, um, uh, and that's kind of where the sermon is targeted. Okay, today's message kind of targeted at seeing that hope. Okay, it's not all the steps that you need to do to, you know, get a job or find a wife or find a husband. It's not, it's not about that, okay, but it's, it's really uh, just trying to help you see that hope, right, so that you can take another step right, and keep moving, okay, and, and, um, and, the, and, and that's where we're going. Okay, so let's look at this parable. Let's look at this parable. Okay, I, I, love, I love stories. I love parables, okay, and uh, when I think about stories, um, lots, uh, stories are told so that you can sort of imagine the details. Right? When, you, when you hear a story, it's, it's told so you can imagine all the details. Um, when, when I read this or when we read this together, uh, I'm sort of willing to bet that a lot of you didn't imagine a lot of details because you're kind of going through it fast or you're looking for the little tiny quotation marks, like I said, you know when to read. But, um, but imagining is a great way to read things. And, and I kind of say this to you because whenever I, I, I give sermons, I, I try to always give a little bit of insight into how I study the Bible. Right, or how I uh, look for things in the Bible, or how, do, how did I find what I found when I, when I was uh, you know, preparing this. And, and I try to imagine. Right? Imagine is a great way to read the Bible. It allows the scriptures to come alive. Okay, so, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of times in horror movies, when they, they write those horror movies, like a lot of times, like, like, just before someone gets killed, right, they'll, like, cut away, and they'll just, like, you just hear the sound or something, right? And why do they do that? Because they know that your imagination's so powerful. Like whatever they could like show on the screen wouldn't compare to like what you can imagine in your mind of how horrific that event could have been. Right? So like someone's about to die and you just hear like and you're like, ah, okay, but you don't see it, but your mind imagines something like way worse. Okay. But um, but that's that's how stories are. Okay. And I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at this passage and just sort of imagining like what's going on here. Okay, because, um, you know, if you do our little uh, daily devotionals with us, we do, like, this program called SOAP, right? SOAP is, you know, write down a scripture, write down some observations, write an application, and pray about it, okay? We don't do this when we go watch movies, or we don't do this when we read, uh, you know, entertainment books, right? We don't, we don't go and see, like, Iron Man 3, which is, you know, just about around the corner, and we're not like, okay, so, uh, you know, what's my application from this movie, uh, what's what's what observation? Okay, I'm done with this movie. Next, right? That's kind of how we approach scripture. But when we watch the movie, we're like, wow, you know, like, and you're just like envisioning all this amazing stuff that happens. Okay, and I want that to happen when we look at scripture. You know, and just be like, wow, and spend time there and just enjoy it for what it is. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 15. Um, let's pop there, and um, I'll allow you to imagine, and I'll kind of throw in what I see. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me and divide the property between them. And not many days later, okay, this is where I want to start. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Okay? Uh, When you think about that, when you think about the words, he gathered all he had, like, what do you think that looked like in your mind? Just kind of run into that. You know, is is it just... A guy who, you know, gets a little square handkerchief and sort of packs his stuff on it and puts it on a stick and starts walking down the road. 
You know, is that, is that gathering all he had? Because, you know, when we read the story and as we've kind of followed Pastor Susong, uh, kind of, uh, you know, give this message or give this picture of what's going on here, this father was extremely wealthy. Okay, it wasn't just like a little cotton full of stuff that he could put on. Okay, or it isn't, you know, 2012, 2013 where, you know, you could put all your father's wealth on a credit card and stick it in your pocket and walk down the road and, you know, just visit ATMs as you go. Right? What, what was going on here? What did this look like? How did, how did you picture this? You know, did, did he have like camels that he traveled with? Were there servants that his father gave him as he divided the inheritance? Right? This is a much bigger picture than, you know, you just kind of just, if you just let the words be dead. Okay? And it's, 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 hopefully it's just a little interesting to you. Like, what, what did it look like? You know, did he just walk away with his third of his servants and camels and, and, and cows and pigs? And he just, you know, he had this whole caravan of people living with him as he went off to this far off country. What do you imagine? Uh, he left for a far-off place. Right, where, did, where in your imagination, if you can imagine a picture of places that you've been in this world, where do you think that he went? What kind of town was it that he went to? What kind of city was it that he went to? Right, in my mind, I always imagine, like when I read this parable, I always imagine Las Vegas. Any of you Las Vegas people? Right, when, when, I, when you imagine this? Okay, so... Um, so Las Vegas, I always imagine Las Vegas, this guy going to Las Vegas, because it's Sin City and there's all the bad stuff you can do, gambling, uh, prostitution, uh, you know, firing, shooting guns, and you know, joining the mob or whatever you do there. Okay? There's all this bad stuff for you to do there. Okay, so I always imagine that. Okay, it says as we continue that um, uh, he went to a far-off country and, it, um, and he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered his property in reckless living. He spent everything that he had. Okay, and, and uh, you know, if you imagine him in again in a couple seconds, like what? What do you think reckless living was in your mind? What do you think he did? You know, um, I know later in the passage it says his older brother said, you know, as he found out that the younger son came back, he's like, he wasted all your money and prostitutes and, and stuff like that. And you welcome him back. How could you do that? Okay, so like a lot of times our minds, you know, when we read this passage, we're like, prostitutes. He recklessly spent his time with prostitutes. But if you understand the story for what it really is or what's really going on here, okay, his older brother didn't even know that his son, his younger, his younger brother came back until there was this party, right? So what, what we're seeing in that scene is his, his older brother never talked with him. He never knew exactly what he did. He was far off in a different country. So the reality is the older brother had no idea. Okay, so we can't just limit our minds to, oh, he just spent his money on prostitution. Okay, because that's not necessarily the case. It could have been a lot of different things. Right? What is reckless living to you? Right? He, maybe he went off to a far country and played the stock markets and, and he spent his money recklessly and he lost it all in the markets. Because okay, that's reckless living, right? Or maybe... Um, he was a gambler. He played golf all the time and gambled on the, on the 18 holes, and, and he lost all his money playing golf, okay, because that's reckless living as well. Or maybe, um, you know, he, he was an entrepreneur, but he was a bad one, and he invested in, you know, he tried to start his own business, but he did it in terrible ways and had no good, wise financial advice or advisors or business, you know, no business strategy, and he just ruined it all, okay, because that's reckless living as well, okay, like, like we, we don't know. Okay, but, um, you know, so one of the things about imagination is as we imagine, it kind of shows us a little bit about what's on our heart. So you can look at me and like, you're Vegas. Yeah, you're a bad pastor. Okay, but, but it shows a little bit of, like as we imagine different things, okay, because they're personal. The imagination is a little personal. 
Uh, so he squandered everything he had in reckless living. Right? And to add to his problem, there was a great famine in the land. Okay, so this young son had nothing left. Right? But as well, the rest of that country had nothing. Okay, so everyone was in need at the time. Um, and it says uh, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Right? Um, and uh, and, um, and one, the interesting thing, um, you know, as I was thinking about that, was you know, it was kind of his intention to use that country or use that place as a place where he could find entertainment or he could you know, just, just use it for his own personhood. You know, use it for his own joy or, or happiness. Okay, but as it turned out in the end of the story, or not the end of the story, but the end of this section, it's like the, the thing that he desired to use for his own pleasure ended up enslaving him. Okay, and, and I was like, that's kind of interesting. Like, you know, I find that in a lot of the things that we do. You know, it's like we, um, you know, we intend to use career for our own personal gain or pleasure, but in the end, if we don't watch out, it ends up enslaving us. Right, or the, the same with money for a lot of people. You know, they, they desire to use money for their own pleasure, but in the end it ends up enslaving them or gambling or uh, finding a significant other or any of these things. Right? His intention is one thing, but in the end he becomes enslaved to it. And uh, he becomes a pig feeder, right? which is a very low position, obviously. And uh, if you know anything about pigs, right, they eat just about anything. Okay, when we look at this story, it's like this young man is sitting here feeding pigs, longing to eat whatever he's feeding the pigs, but there's something about whatever he's throwing to the pigs that he can't eat. Right? It's, it's like unfit for human consumption, even though he's starving, even though he's extremely hungry. Whatever these pigs are eating, he can't eat, right? which is extremely dire. And, and, like, and I, I picture the scene where you know, a lot of times when you see, you, if you picture a pig farm, it's just fat pigs, and you know, they're all you know, happy and rolling in the mud. But here it's like the, the whole nation or the whole country is in a famine. So these are probably not fat pigs, right? And these are probably, they're probably not getting, you know, great feet, right? For, uh, you know, pigs will eat anything. It's like if you pooped in a pail and you threw it out, the pigs would eat it, you know? And it gets that kind of just nasty. Like whatever these pigs are eating is just so nasty that this guy can't even eat it if he wanted to, right? Um, He was hungry, and apparently whatever his job was or whatever his job was paying him was not enough to feed him. It was a very uh, dire circumstance that he was in. Right? He came to himself, and uh, in his turning, he, he was broken to the point where he would turn to someone that he had betrayed, okay, which is, uh, like, that's amazing. Right? I, I, I was trying to think of movies, but the, the best things I could think of were, like, Korean dramas where, like, someone betrays someone and then they have to go to them for help, right? And, and I didn't want to explain that whole thing. But, but there are movies or shows or, or things where you've probably seen, you know, stories like that. And, and whenever you picture or whenever you see that scene where that person eventually has to go to that person that they betrayed to ask for help because they have nothing left, all right, they are completely at the end of their rope. They have no hope left. They have nothing left. And they have to grovel at someone's feet that they, that is their, I don't know, either their enemy or someone that they betrayed. And it's just, it's the worst situation that that person could bring in himself too. Right? And this is the same thing that's going on here. Okay? He came to himself and said, I have no other hope but to turn to my father whom I betrayed. Right? Whom I said, you know, I wish you were dead because I want your money. And he has to go back to him. Okay, so this guy was at the end. Right, when I think of this guy, um, I guess the image that comes to my mind is I think of this guy like he ran out of gas. 
Have you ever guys been driving and you run out of gas? How many of you guys have actually run out of gas? Come on. It's okay. It's okay. All right. I've been really close. Okay. My, my closest experience. Okay. Um, actually, yeah, like when we drive, like Esther and I drive we, in our Honda Civic, it's got like little squares for the gas meter. Right? Uh, I don't know what your cars look like. Some of you guys are needles. Ours are little squares, okay? And when it gets to two squares, like the little light turns on, okay? And when the light turns on, whoa! When the light turns on, I I'm okay with that, right? Because I'm an, I'm a mechanical engineer. I know they over-engineer these things so that even when there's no squares left, you can still go like 30 miles easily, right? No problem, okay? But but when the light goes on for Esther. She has like an anxiety attack, right? Her heart starts beating faster, and she's like, she starts panicking. Like, oh no, if it gets down to one square, she's like about to pass out. Okay? If it ever got to zero squares, she would just punch me in the face for not stopping at a gas station sooner. Okay, but, uh, but uh, there's one time where I was traveling from um, University of Illinois back to Chicago. That's kind of where I'm from in, in my hometown. Um, normally, I went to Purdue University. Uh, which is in central Indiana, okay, and uh, University of Illinois is in central Illinois, and they're kind of next to each other. They're both south of Chicago, about two and a half hours, three hours, uh, just a little east, or, east and west of each other. Um, so I, I normally uh, have traveled from Purdue to Chicago many times, and, and, I, and on that route, on the highway, um, there's always gas stations that are open 24, 24 hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I, like, I never, it never crosses my mind to need to stop anywhere because there's always gas stations if I ever need it. Okay, so uh, me and my buddy were traveling back from University of Illinois, and we're driving up, and it's late at night. And uh, I'm in my uh, dad's 1999 Camry Pearl Gray. Okay, good gas mileage car, right? four cylinders. That thing's going to go for a while. Okay, we're a little low on gas, and, you know, you pass the gas stations. Um, and uh, so I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, the gas is more expensive in the city. If I go out on the highway, it gets cheaper, right? So, like, let's use that to our advantage, okay? So, and, and it provides a break, you know. You drive long late at night. You want to stop somewhere so you can take a break. So you kind of kill a couple of birds with one stone. So we're driving along, okay, and the gas gets low, and the light eventually turns on. And, again, you know, I know that they build in more than it's there. So I'm like, we got at least, you know, 60, you know, 40, 50 miles left before we run out. So we drive along, and then eventually, like, okay, we'll get off at this exit ramp and fill up with gas. So we get off the exit ramp, and the gas station is closed. So we're like, okay, no problem. We'll just go to the next gas station. Okay, and this is like separate. You know, each gas station is separated by like 10, 15, 20 miles. It's like normal when you're in the middle of nowhere, um, kind of setting. So we drive to the next gas station, right? And it is also closed. Okay, and now our needle is getting very low. Okay, so we're to the point where, where like, I'm stepping on the gas pedal very gently, okay, and, and you got to go, like, 55 miles per hour because that's, like, the optimal range for gas mileage, okay? Uh, all, the, all the air conditioning is off. The radio is off. All right, we're trying to conserve every bit of energy that we can, okay? And, and we're trying to drive to the next gas station, and it is also closed. Okay, so now we're, like, freaking out, okay, because the needle is, like, grounded, and we got to make it to the next gas station, and, like, we're driving, and, and the whole time we're driving, I'm just waiting for the engine to start, like, sputtering, you know, because the gas is running out. But, uh, but in that situation, like I said, we just made it to the gas. I'm, I'm pretty sure we just, like, rolled in, like, in neutral, okay? Uh, it, was, it was pretty bad. Okay, but when you actually run out of gas, okay, uh, there's a couple things that happen in your mind, okay? When you actually run out of gas, uh, the first thing that happens is there's a panic, right? There's a panic when your gas is low. Okay, and that's what I was experiencing. There's a panic, 
Right? And, and, but there's a little bit of hope that you can make it a little further. Okay, and that's the funny thing about the gas tank. It's like if, whether it's a quarter full or half full or you know, full full, it, you don't really think about it or you don't really care. Everything's happy and good until that light comes on. Okay? At least for me, it's like everything's happy until that light comes on. Okay, but when that light comes on, there's a little bit of panic, right? Um, and, and there's a hope that maybe you can make it a little bit further. Um, number two thing that happens is there's a dread. Okay, when the engine starts to sputter, okay, if you don't know anything about running out of gas, like when you run out of gas, you'll, you'll sputter a little, and then you'll go a little further, and then uh, you know you can actually go like a pretty good distance further, and then it'll sputter some more, and then it'll sputter. You don't, it doesn't just die totally. Usually, right? It doesn't just die. So when the engine starts sputtering, there's like a, a real heavy dread, like this is actually going to happen, okay? And then when you run out of gas, okay, and you're on the side of the road, what happens is uh, you start blaming things or people. This stupid car, why couldn't it make it just a little bit further? Or, you know, why didn't it have better gas mileage? Or, you know, like, my, it's, it's my dad's fault because he didn't fill up the night before. Or my wife should have done it. Or, you know, someone sh something should have happened. It's like, are this, why are the gas stations closed? They should know better that people need to get gas at 2 in the morning. Because there's a whole bunch of college, like 40,000 college students down south, and they're all going to Chicago. And there's nothing to do down there. They should know. They can make money. Right? You blame people, you blame things. Right? Um, uh, after that, okay, after that passes and you're sitting on the road a little longer and you cool down, right, you finally uh, start to feel guilty or you feel stupid and you get depressed. You're like, oh, man, I'm so stupid. I should have filled up. It was only like two cents more expensive if I stopped before I left. It's like I was just trying to save two cents per gallon. I should have just filled up. I am so dumb. Right? It's going to take forever for me to get home now. Okay, and then finally, okay, what, what happens is you eventually get to the step where, you know, what do I have to do next? Okay, you realize that the solution to your problem is outside of yourself. Okay, there's nothing that you can do now that will make your car start going. Someone or something else outside your situation has to come in in order for you to be able to get gas and get going again. Okay, uh, in my imagination, okay, this, I feel like the young son went through a lot of this. Okay, he's running out of money. He's running out of his gas. Right? It's panic when his gas gets low. Dread when it starts to sputter. Blaming different people uh, for his loss of money. Why is this famine happening? Why didn't my dad give me more? Why did my friends take so much money from me? Okay, and eventually coming to this point of guilt and you know, for stupid decisions. Why did I do this? Right? And depression. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, what, what, what do I have to do next? Okay, and again, it was his intention to use that place for his own glory, for his own fun, for his own satisfaction. Right? But eventually, he becomes a slave to it. Right? Um, so, um, you know, that, that was the case for this guy. But what is the gas in our lives? Okay, because we live through similar things. Okay, uh, it, it might be money for us, similar to the young son. Uh, for a lot of us, it is career in the Silicon Valley area. It's career. Again, as long as the gas is quarter full, half full, full, no problem. But when it starts to sputter, you really find out if that was your genuine true hope in this world of satisfaction. You know, when the career starts to sputter out, you know, what, what, you know when the economy started shaking up a couple of years ago, uh, when people, uh, you know, started going, getting uh, laid off from their jobs, they find out, is, is education, is that your gas? Or is beauty or relationship 
or children or religiousness? Is that your great hope in this world? If I you know, go to church, everything should be good. But some, for some reason, something's not working. I feel like I ran out of gas. Um, you know, it's, you got to be careful to think about that. Um, there's a pastor, his name is Paul Washer, and he's very, like, blunt, straight, tell it to your face like it is. And he was telling a sermon once I was listening, and I was just like, I almost died when I heard this. But he was saying, uh, he was giving a sermon once, and, um, and these girls walked in, right, and they sat in the front, and they were all, like, you know, young, beautiful girls, and, and, and they sat down. And he said, he looked at them, and he said, today you're very beautiful, but one day you will be very ugly. I was like, what? How can you say that as a pastor? Right? Today you're beautiful, but one day you will be very ugly. Okay? And the point of him saying that is, you know, at this point in their life, they were far away from running out of gas. Right? That was probably the last thing on their mind. Okay? But, but what he was saying was, if that is your hope in this life, it will be sure to let you down. Right? It will be sure to let you down. Okay, if, you know, if, if beauty is what you think is going to make your life satisfied, it is sure to let you down. All right, same with career, same with school, same with you know, all these different things that come along, whatever our guess might be. Okay, so um, uh, like I said in the beginning, right, so you know, what, what do we do? What do we do in this situation? Right, the solution, or uh, at least the first step, is in uh, you know, uh, finding that hope. Finding that hope, if if we get that, you know, for uh, for saying that, it's like you know, it's like if if you are in the, you know, I don't I don't want you to be in the desert, right? But I don't want you to be driving towards it and not even recognize it. Right? So it's something we got to think about. Uh, what is our hope in? Um, there's uh, two sides of this hope that I kind of want us to look at, and this is like you know, really genuinely a big discussion. Uh, but there's two sides that I want to talk about, and and the difference is kind of like this. Um, uh, when you guys were kids, or when I was a kid, and it was Christmas time, okay, uh, we had Christmas tree in our house, and, and our parents, or my parents, would buy—not our parents, my parents—okay, would buy uh, gifts and put them under the tree, okay. And all week long, I'd be the little kid that you know, shake the box, you know, smell the box, weigh the box, try to figure out what it is, you know, look through, you know, catalogs and figure out like what is this size and weighs this much that I want. Okay, and so like you, you, you go to bed Christmas Eve, and then you get up at the crack of dawn, you know, even before your parents awake. And I, I was a kid that couldn't sleep at all. Like I'd just be like waiting all night. It's like, come on, where is the sun? I want to get up and open my presents. Okay, so I'd run down the stairs before anyone else is awake, grab the big boxes first, save all the squishy stuff for later because the squishy stuff is closed, right? So you got to save that for later. You open the big boxes and you play with that stuff and you're like, yeah, okay, I got what I always wanted. And then, um, and then, and then eventually you got to get to the, the squishy small stuff. So you open that and, and it's like socks or a sweater and like, man, this sucks, right? Like the stuff that you don't even want. But... The, the part of the whole gift-giving process is um, your parents always told you you have to be thankful for whatever you get, right? So, like, if you get, like, socks from your grandma, like, eventually you gotta be, you got to say thank you to your grandma, right, even though you're not, right? And you're like, Mama, I don't even want this, right? But you're like, you have to say thank you, right? So, like, how do you reconcile this, right? It's like, I didn't, I didn't think of this when I was five years old, but how do you reconcile, like, I don't feel like it, but I have to feel like it, or I should feel like it. Right? How do you, how do you, how do you like, get there? 
Like, you know, there's, there's steps that I know that I should do, but those steps don't do anything for me getting closer to where I'm supposed to feel, like, thankful for socks. Right? It's, it's just not a reality. Okay, and, and this is kind of like the two sides of hope that I see. Right? There's a feeling like I, I, I should feel hope or I'm stuck uh, wherever I am in life, whether you're inside the church and you feel like you're just living this Christianity that's going nowhere and you just don't know what to do anymore, or you're outside the church and you're just living this life that feels like it's going nowhere and you're just working this job and you're just making a buck for someone else that's above you. And, and you're just, you know, what what is it? How do I get to this feeling where, you know, life matters? Right? And it's not, you know, it's, it's the answer is partly in the steps that I do, right? it's in the things that I do, but it's not totally in that. Right? It's, if you're a struggling Christian, they're, you know, reading your Bible, praying, going to church, like, those are steps that are part of that, but sometimes it feels like it's not getting me all the way there. Like, how do I get that feeling? Right? And, and, and like, you know, how do these things work together to make this thing happen? Okay, so uh, for stuck people... Um, you know, again, like, like, um, you know, stuck people, what they need is hope. Okay, when I envision stuck people, depressed people, uh, people in, in, you know, hardships, I always imagine them being in like a room or just total darkness, right? total darkness, and they feel like they're just lost. They, have, they don't even know what to do. Okay, and, and what hope is to me is, you know, I feel like hope is that light that, you know, even though it's the smallest bit of light, if you're in complete darkness, at least you have somewhere to go. At least you have somewhere to move to, okay? And, and you know, that's, that's like, that's, that's what we need. It's like if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're depressed, you need that light to at least feel like there's something there and you're not alone and there's, there's, there's some hope that things can get better or I can get out of this. Okay, people that go to counseling or people that, you know, uh, go to psychiatrists, you know, this is, this is essentially what they're doing. Right? They're in complete darkness in their life and they feel like there's, there's nothing left that they can do and they're, they're, they're going to this counselor or pastor and they're saying, give me a little bit of light that says my life can get better. Okay, which is kind of partially my plug for counseling. It's, you know, if you, if you feel like that, go get counseling. Talk to Pastor Susan, uh, who has much more life experience than me. You can talk to me. I'll just look at you and smile and listen, right? But maybe I can give you something. But, uh, but you know, counseling is, is an excellent thing. A lot in our Asian, you know, in an Asian culture, most of you are Asian, um, you know, it's like we just, we just keep our problems to ourselves. We don't share with anyone. If you share with someone, it's a sign of weakness. Right? I know this. My dad was a psychiatrist. Right? He's like the only Korean psychiatrist in the entire Chicagoland area, okay? Because Koreans don't go to counseling. Right? I asked my dad, I was like, how many Koreans do you see? He's like, Almost no one. Like they're almost all different cultures, right? And and like you know, we look at that as strength. Like you can't share our our problems, stay within our family, okay? But ultimately, it's not helping anyone, okay? Um, look look for help, okay? Um, so um, hope is the light at the end of the tunnel, right? The, the feeling side of it. Okay. On the practical side, um, uh, what I see a lot, okay? It's not all the time, but what I see a lot when people are stuck in this position is. Um, they are basically insane. Okay, and what I mean by that is there's this quote that always says, you know, insanity, right? Insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. Right? Insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. Okay, and I see that a lot in the church. Like people feel like their Christianity is going nowhere, and what are they doing? 
the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Okay, and and from a very practical side, you know, um, you say, you know, well, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying, and those are things that you should be doing, but you know, um, maybe someone that can come alongside you from outside your situation can give you wisdom to your situation so that you can start moving again. Right? You might think that this is every you think, and, and it is. It's a huge part. I'm not you know trying to say it's not that, but I'm just saying it's part of it. But sometimes there's something else that's happening that you you don't even see. Okay, um, and, and a lot of us as Christians or you know people outside church are, are just plainly living insanely. They're just doing the same. They're going to the same job over and over, expecting happiness. You know, trying to um, do something over and over, expecting more. Okay, um, you know, I see this. Uh, I just see this pattern all the time in, in my friends' lives and my, um, you know, these people that in Silicon Valley that are my friends that are making money, money, money like crazy. You know, they, they get their marriage and, you know, that's good and it runs out. And then they have their kids and that's good and that runs out. And then they travel the world and then, they, you know, that's good, but that eventually runs out. And, and it's just, they just go on to one thing, the next thing, next thing, next thing, and, and it's just insanity, right? They just keep doing Different, you know, in that case, different things, but the same thing, trying to make, you know, life mean something or have some feeling that life matters, okay? Uh, or in, Christ- in Christianity, it's like same thing over and over and over, trying to make their Christian life work. Uh, but um, but um, when, when I say that, that is that sometimes a pattern needs to be broken. I'm not saying stop reading scripture, stop praying, okay? But something needs to be shifted or changed, okay, so that things can start working again. Okay, and again, uh, counseling and advice. Um, you know, this is why we have the church. This is why we have our community groups. If you're not involved in a community group, get involved in a community group. Right? This is where people, you know, their lives just mesh, and they, they just, right? And you fight, and you, you yell at people, and you get angry at people. But life, you know, you live life together, and you learn how to make it work. Right? Um, I don't know. I mean, some of you might have been hurt in small groups. You feel like you never want to do it again. I, I don't know where you guys are at. Um, I guess an uh, illustration that comes to mind is uh, I had another pastor friend who always say, how do hedge, or, yeah, hedge, hedgehogs, they're the ones with the pork, pointy stuff, right? How do, they, how do they make babies? Very carefully and slowly, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, we, we all come to life with all these different spikes and things and hurts that will hurt other people. But, you know, in community group, you know, we got to be gracious and just come together, right? And it's a slow process, right? But, but it works. Okay, but anyways, uh, feeling, practicality, right? Two sides of hope. Right? When we look at that, okay, um, what I'll say is our greatest hope needs to be in the cross. Right? Our greatest hope must be in the cross. It must be in Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one that shows us the way to the Father. Right? He is the one that shows us the way to a Father that loves us dearly. Right? It is the ultimate hope in this life. Right? The cross shows that the Father is coming after you and He desires a relationship with you and that He loves you and there's nothing that is going to get in His way and stopping Him from having you. The cross is the greatest hope in this life. Okay, and you might be thinking, I've heard that a million times, but how does the cross solve this problem? Or how does the cross solve my job problem? Or how does the cross solve my relationship problem? Or how does the cross solve this problem? Okay, um, what I'll say is 
what the cross does is it gives us perspective on all these problems that we may face in this life. Okay, a lot of times I think about it like, you know, why do we continue to look at the dead grass at our feet, right, looking for beauty, when there's a sunrise in front of us if we'll lift our head? Okay, we gather all our life and we're just like, the grass is dead. This life is hopeless. Right, when there's a sunrise, it's so beautiful and there's something so much greater than this small problem in front of us. Okay? Um, uh, when we look at problems, I'm not saying that relational problems are insignificant and all you've got to think about is eternity and the cross or uh, you know, your money problems. Those are real problems and they need real answers. Okay? And, and, and that's something that needs to be worked through. But in light of that... Okay, we cannot be defined by those problems. Okay, if you lose your job and you go into deep depression, our lives cannot be framed solely by our work because that is a small problem in significance to all eternity. Our identity must be shaped by the cross. Right? That is our ultimate hope in this life. If you lose your job, if, if your boyfriend breaks up with you, if you can't find a husband or wife, you know, I know that hurts and that's real. Okay, but if that is what shapes your identity, if that is what, you know, is, is dragging your whole life down, you've got to learn to look up and see there's more to life than that. Okay, and there's greater things in life than that. Okay, when we uh, look at this chapter... And when we look at this chapter, and let me start wrapping things up. When we look at this chapter again, uh, chapter 15, there's two parables that precede this. Okay, and, um, uh, you know, what these two parables that precede this, you know, they, they're doubly reinforcing the same thing. All right, in the first parable, there's a lost sheep, and, and, you know, this guy goes out and finds the sheep, brings it back, they celebrate. In the second parable, there's this, you know, this, uh, was it a woman who loses a coin, and she turns over the whole house looking for this coin, trying to find it. Okay, and and the, what these two parables tell me, again, is God is coming after us. He is seeking us. He is leaving 99 or saved. He's turning over the entire earth to find those that are His. He loves you. He's coming after you. You may feel like it's hopeless, or you may feel like there is no hope left. Right? Or Christianity feel like, do not give up. God is coming after you. There's no doubt in my mind. When we get to this third parable, it's interesting because the son leaves. And and here the father doesn't go out for the son. And and to me, when I was reading this, it's like, why? It's like there's two stories where this guy's looking and there's this third one where the father sits at home. It's like, is that saying that God just sits at home and waits for us? Like, well, what, what is the point of this? Like, why did that happen? To me, that was like, whoa, I don't know. How do I reconcile this? Okay. Uh, what I see in this is, you know, what if, what if the father, you know, the son goes away, he's living in, you know, my Las Vegas and his weird world, okay? And, and the father goes after him, grabs him, brings him home, drags him, throws him in his room, and like, okay, I found my son, let's celebrate. Right? Is that reason to celebrate? Okay, what this story tells me is, you know, the father is not interested in having a warm body in his house, but he's interested in finding his son's heart. Okay, he wants this son to know that there's a father that loves him. 
Right? It's not just about a son that sits at home. Okay, when you come to this church, you know, you got to know it's like our, you know, our, our thing at this church is not about having your warm body in this church. We don't just want numbers in this church, but we want you people sitting in these pews to experience the love of God. Okay, and when you experience that love of God, then we're doing our job. So Christ is coming after you. Um, the other side of the story, okay, um, again, if we read verse 1, uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and then the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, the man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so again, and Jesus gives these parables, okay, and he gives these parables all to the, you know, for the sake of the Pharisees being able to see this picture that God celebrates when he finds a lost one. Okay, so what in essence this is doing is rebuking the Pharisees and saying, you are the religious leaders of your time, but you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be going and celebrating and finding these people, just like I'm doing. Or, you know, that's what Jesus is saying, just like Jesus is doing. Okay? Um, when we give sermons like this or we hear sermons like this, a lot of the times, um, you know, we're wrapped up so much in this culture that we're always like, okay, how does this sermon apply to my life? How does this sermon apply to my life? Okay, so how do I get out of depression or how do I get unstuck or how do I get my Christian life moving? Okay, but here's the thing. Okay, again, the whole point of these parables is to tell the Pharisees, you are sinning because you don't understand that the father loves his children. He wants them to draw near. And when they do, their celebration. Okay? When we think about this room and we think about the people in this room, we think about people in your office or this, this work, there are a lot of people that you know that are stuck in this life, that are depressed in this life. And you know what they need? They need a hope. They need that light. They're in darkness. They need something to walk through. They need someone to come alongside them and tell them there is hope. There is another step that you can take. There is a place where you can go. It is not over. Okay, so I'm t- telling you this is, this is what this church, we need to do this as a community. All right? If you know someone in this church, you know, when the service is over, run to them, grab them, pray with them and say, there's a hope for you. I know you're depressed. I know you're in a tough situation, but you know, I don't know how to get out of this desert, but let's take a step together. All right, let's take a step together. Let's move together. Okay, and, and I'm not saying this to uh, you know, make a religious rule for us. If you don't, you're a bad Christian. Okay, I'm saying this because out of the hope that we have received in Christ, if we see it, if we're close to it, if we're not stuck... There's someone else that is, and we need to find that person and come alongside them and pray with them. Okay, the, the, the picture that uh, Paul gives us in Corinthians is, you know, Christ is the head of the body, and we're his hands, we're his arms, we're his feet. All right, we're the ones that need to bring the gospel. Oh, we can't just wait for miracles. Like, oh, you're depressed? Let me just, we'll, we'll just pray for you and hope for a miracle. No, we need to come alongside that person and be God's hands and feet and love them and care for them because that's the way God designed the church to be. That's the way God designed our community groups to be. Right? So out of the hope that we have, out of the joy that we have in our relationship with Christ, love someone. Right? And you might think it's the dumbest thing or the most insignificant thing in the world, but you never know. You never know. It might change that person's life. Okay, let me end with this. 
Um, everything in this, everything about this story says the younger son is an idiot, right? He, he's the one that dug his own grave. He's the one that did all the stupid things. He's the one that went off to the far off. He's the one that didn't know how to invest his money. He's the one who, he's just an idiot. Okay? Uh, and that's true. It's true. Right? But everything about this parable also says that there is a father that loves that son. Right? And is willing to overlook all those things to have his son know that his heart is for him. The son comes back thinking he's going to be a slave or a servant. Right? The father looks at him and says, no, you are my son. Right? Right? Everything about our lives might say the same thing. Everything about our lives say, we're the ones that screwed it up and we're the ones that messed it up and we're the ones that made the bad decisions or we're the ones that did you know, A, B, or C and we're the ones that screwed up our own lives. Right? But the same thing applies. Everything about this story says there's a father that loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He moved every obstacle out of the way so that you could be with him. He wants you to see that hope and that light. And he wants you to know and he wants others to know that there's a God, there's a father that loves you. Let's pray. God, as we live our lives in this land, um, pray uh, that you could forgive us for looking for our ultimate hopes in this world. And uh, maybe we're so blind to it that we don't see it, but please um, give us grace and open our eyes to the failure that we're going to run into if we continue uh, living off this false hopes of this world. Help us to look to you and, and uh, lift our heads to uh, the beauty that is you, Father and to the love that you have for each and every one of us. Help us to see that hope and take another step where we may be stuck, or help us to share that light with someone else who might be stuck. God, let us be a community, a church, a family, where we uh, love each other uh, in such an amazing way that you showed us. Uh, God, our hope uh, can only be in you. And God, we thank you uh, that you are so kind, gracious, loving, forgiving, compassionate to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.